Well, don't you join with me in the Bible uh, tonight, Ephesians chapter 4. I'm so excited about the day that the Lord will let us fly away when we finally get to experience the rapture. Uh, what a joy that will be for us. Uh, I don't know about anybody else, but every day I wake up disappointed uh, that it hasn't happened yet. Amen. So Ephesians chapter 4, we want to look tonight, um, as you turn in your Bibles there, uh, how many of you watched The Lone Ranger growing up or have ever seen it? I love The Lone Ranger. My kids love The Lone Ranger. Uh, nothing like Tonto and The Lone Ranger as they ride out and, and uh, try to uh, be able to uh, disrupt the plans of those uh, evil men and those that d desire to do evil. But one day Tonto and The Lone Ranger were riding through a canyon and all of a sudden, both sides of this canyon were filled with Native American warriors. They were on horses. They were dressed for battle, no doubt, with their bows and arrows pulled back and their strings were tied and they were ready to let them fly. The Lone Ranger turned to Tonto and he said, What are we going to do? And Tonto replied, What do what you mean, we, white man? <laughs> you know, sometimes we... We forget that uh, we're in this together, and I think the, at that moment, I think that uh, Tonto was willing to give it all up. And, you know, we think about Ephesians chapter 4 tonight, and I'm just so thankful for the Word of God. Aren't you? I I'm thankful for the change that it brings in a life. And, and as we look at the Word of God tonight, and as in preparation for the Lord's Supper as a church family tonight, let me just say, uh, God has called us to walk worthy. Uh, and what a blessing it is that God's reminded us of this as we prepare for the Lord's Supper, that each of us can be challenged to walk worthy of the vocation that He's called us to. And so if we look at the book of Ephesians together, the first three chapters deals with a lot of doctrine. And it deals with uh, biblical doctrines, especially concerning Christ, our, our security in Christ, or what the Holy Spirit does for us. There's so much there. And I like what Warren Wiersbe says. He says, the better we understand doctrine, the easier it is to obey Bible duties. And so, you know, I think Ephesians, the first three chapters of Ephesians is such a crucial part of understanding the last three chapters of Ephesians. And so let's look there together at Ephesians chapter 4. And if you'll stand with me tonight, and let's read this, uh, these six verses together. Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 6. He says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called, with all lowliness, and meekness with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this incredible challenge tonight. I thank you for the reminder of uh, your will, your desire for us as we have this urging, this desire to walk together and to walk worthy. May you help us, Lord, uh, to, to do that. May you help our lives to be able to just emulate Christ in that regard. Lord, may you work in a mighty way. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. There's three things I want to point out from the Scripture tonight regarding walking worthy. And as we look at Ephesians chapter 4, uh, the first one I see is that God wants us to walk worthy by serving others. And think about service. You know, if you're, if you're going to be a servant, uh, then it requires a mindset of humility. As Christ ministered on this earth, I want to remind you that of some very basic truths. He, didn't, he, he was God long before He ever became man. Uh, he, before He was born on this earth, He was God in heaven. Amen? 
And we see that John 1, 1. We see that throughout the scriptures. But look at Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8 with me. We can see that, that uh, the truth that Jesus Christ has always been God. Now listen, there are some cults today that want to teach you that Jesus became God, but Jesus Christ has always been God. All right? Philippians chapter 2 and verse 6, it says, Who being in the form of God, thought it not Robert to be equal with God. Did you catch that? Uh, Jesus Christ is equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. We see Christ who was, who, uh, who was and let me just say still is God. He had the, he had the, as he came to this earth, he had the heart of a servant. He had this heart of someone who was full of humility. And verse 5, if you back up to that verse, it says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ. And so God's calling us. Listen, and not just Jesus should have the heart of a servant, but all of us. And so let's remember our position this evening. If truth of the word be told, we can all get a lofty opinion of ourselves. Uh, that's a natural response for us. We love ourselves. And that's why Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 5, Husbands, love your wives as yourselves. Amen? Because they, he, know, he knew how much we love ourselves, And so he's saying, listen, you need to love your wife as much as you love yourself, and even more so. And so we recognize that the word therefore here, let's look at a couple of terms here. He says, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord. Therefore, why in, why in the world is that therefore? Well, because he's tying together the, the first three chapters of doctrine into these last three chapters of practical living. And so therefore is a connective word. It's connecting two segments of, of Ephesians together. The first three chapters help us to grow in understanding and all that God has done for us as believers. And, and listen, and he takes that and he connects that with a practical walk of the Christian. And so he says, therefore, we should walk worthy. Because of what you've learned in the first three chapters, let me encourage you to walk worthy of the vocation. The Christian life is not based on ignorance, but knowledge. Think about that for a second. And maybe, maybe I can repeat that. The Christian life is not based upon ignorance, but knowledge. You see, there's, there's a lot of people in this world that say we're just we're buffoons. And I, I appreciate Brother Weigel and, and the presentation Sunday night, and I'm looking forward to this Sunday night. But it, it, sometimes they think that we just stick our hands in our ears and say, nah, 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 as he had in that presentation. But truly, we're not agnostic. We don't say that we can't know God, but instead we know that we can know him because of his word. And so as we come to this, we realize that our walk with God is based upon what we know from Him, from His Word. And so let me encourage you this evening, get in the Word of God, let it, let it get in you, and let it transform your life. And so we, he goes on here and he says, uses the word beseech. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy. This word is, indicates that, that God in love urges us to live for His glory. It's not just, hey, if you want to, but instead it's this, this, uh, this urgence. As a matter of fact, he uses the same word in Romans chapter 12 in verse 1. He says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. It's this strong urging. And it, he doesn't say, uh, as he did in the Old Testament, if you obey me, I will bless you. But instead in the Old Testament, he says, I have blessed you already. Now my response for you should be to love and to obey. Listen, God's given us a marvelous calling in Christ Jesus. Think about what He's asked us to do. Go ye therefore into all the world and preach the gospel. That's our calling. 
That is our purpose. That is the reason we're here. And he says, This is, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. We are called, each of us, to that vocation tonight. If you consider Paul, this epistle was written, it was one of his prison epistles, and he was not stating that he was a prisoner from Rome, but he was stating instead that he was a prisoner of the Lord. He was a prisoner because of his position in Christ. Because of what Christ has done, he knew he belonged to the the Lord. He knew that his life was dedicated completely to him. There was was no walking away from it for him. He says, I am bound to him. There's nothing that's going to separate me. And so he says, I therefore, the prisoner, the one that's willfully here underneath the Lord's leadership, he says, I beseech you that you walk worthy. And so tonight, let me encourage you, remember your calling. Remember your position, but remember your calling. God's called us to a couple of things in verse number 2. He says, With all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. Humility. Think about humility just with me real quick. Someone said that humility is that grace that when you know you have it, you have lost it. Humility means putting Christ first, others second, and yourself last. It means knowing ourselves, accepting ourselves, and being ourselves to the glory of God. God does not condemn you when you accept yourself and your gifts, according to Romans 12, 3, but He does, He wants us to think, uh, doesn't want us to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to. Then He goes on and He says, listen, not just, not just this idea of, of lowliness, but also meekness. Meekness is not weakness. Okay? Meekness is power under control. Consider the man Moses, and we see that in Numbers chapter 12 and verse thir- number 3, we see that Moses was a meek man, uh, and yet we see that, that he had tremendous power uh, that he exercised. Jesus Christ was said that he was meek and lowly in heart in Matthew eleven twenty nine. 29, yet he drove the money changers from the temple. Meekness is not weakness. In the Greek language, This word was used for a soothing medicine, a colt that had been broken in a soft wind. In each case, you have power, but that power is under control. The famous inventor Samuel Morris, who was once asked if he ever encountered situations where he didn't know what to do, he responded this, More than once, and whenever I could not see my way clearly, I knelt down and prayed to God for light and understanding. Listen, Samuel Mortis received many honors for his invention of the telegraph, but he felt undeserving. And I quote, he says, I I have made a valuable application of electricity, not because I was superior to other men, but solely because God, who meant it for mankind, must reveal it to someone, and he was pleased to reveal it to me. What a tremendous testimony of humility in his life. Listen, it's not about me, it's not about you, but instead, he says, with all lowliness and meekness, he says, that's what it's about. Walking worthy is about walking with a servant's spirit. Walking worthy is being willing to say, Lord, I just want to serve. I want to do whatever you've, you've called me to do. Not a spirit of pride, but of humility. And you think about Jesus, he truly is our greatest example. When I was a kid, my mom would sing this song um, in church. She, she would sing the song, He Could Have Called 10,000 Angels. How many of you have heard that song? Yeah, amen. It's a good song. I'm just going to read some of the lyrics here. It says, They bound the hands of Jesus in the garden where He prayed. They led Him through the streets in shame. They spat upon the Savior so pure and free from sin. They said, Crucify Him. He's to blame. The chorus goes, He could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world and set him free. He could have called 10,000 angels, but he died alone for you and me. 
And I, I like this next verse here. It says, They struck him and they cursed him and they mocked his holy name. All alone he suffered everything. When they nailed him to the cross, his mother stood near, uh, nearby. He says, Woman, behold thy son. He cried, I thirst for water, but they gave him none to drink. Then the sinful work of man was done. What a, a, a travesty to think about what man has done to Christ. But what a revealing uh, peace as we consider what Christ's character was like. Isaiah 53 really paints this so beautifully. Isaiah 53 verses 3 through 6. He says, He is despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Verse five says, now 4 says, he, Surely he had borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one into his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Truly, Jesus Christ had that spirit of humility. It was displayed throughout his ministry, and it was exemplified on the cross. And tonight, he, I, he calls upon us to emulate it. He says, therefore, walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you've been called, with all lowliness and weak meekness. As we con consider the Lord's Supper tonight, I want to remind you of the words in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 24. He says, and when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. Christ used his body for service to his Father. His body was broken, it was used, it was abused. And through all of this, we see that he says, remember, remember. Church, as we consider Jesus Christ, he is obviously the perfect example. And though we strive to be like him, I know it. sometimes we fail miserably, but this is what I want to remind you, that God's called us tonight, let's walk worthy. Let's walk worthy by serving with that spirit of humility. But we also see that, that God calls us not only to serve, but also to sacrifice. In verse number 2, he goes on, he says, "...with all lowliness and meekness, with longsuffering, forbearing one another in love." Christ gave his life in service, but he shed his blood as a sacrifice. And I think about all that he's done, and I think about Romans 9.22, and, and, and for years I have just been astounded by the truth of this verse. And it says, And almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without the shedding of blood there is no remission. You see, Jesus Christ had to die on that cross. Jesus Christ had to shed his blood on the cross. He had to be that sacrifice. There was no other option. The only way for me to experience true freedom was for him to lay down his life on the cross and, and, and shed his blood for you and me. Amen. Never forget. And so he calls us to a couple of things here. And, and sometimes I really believe that, that it takes some sacrifice on our part to be, uh, be able to patiently persevere or in other words, to experience and to, to give long-suffering, sometimes takes a little bit of uh, sacrifice. Can I get an amen to that? If you, ever rate, if you have ever raised teenagers, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, if, if they're still living, you're an example of what it means to have long-suffering. Amen? amen? Long-suffering means literally bearing injuries or provocation for a long time. And, and, and it really, allied with meekness is long-suffering, which literally means long-tempered the ability to endure discomfort without fighting back. 
Think about the, the fruit of the Spirit with me in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith. He says, listen, this is an aspect of the fruit of the Spirit at work in our lives. When we are completely surrendered to the Spirit of God, when we're completely devoted to Him, we see that long-suffering uh, flows out naturally as a result of the work of the Spirit. And so tonight, I just want to remind you that long-suffering helps provide unity in our church. So long-suffering provides unity in our home. Long-suffering is, is the command of God for the church today because it promotes unity. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and verse 10, it says, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you speak the same thing, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Christ was our perfect example of long-suffering. When we were worthy of death, Christ died for us. We, being the created, we mocked, we ridiculed God, the Creator, yet He still gave to us salvation. Listen, tonight, require, if we're going to be long-suffering, it requires that we also not just receive the love of God, but we give it. When someone attacks, it's the love of God that intercedes. And that's why he says, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. It intercepts the hurt that is flung toward the Christian and does an amazing thing with it. Let's look at the next thing, a patient understanding. And really forbearing is being able to just understand, to put yourself in someone else's shoes. It's a grace that cannot be experienced apart from love. It means to hold oneself back in a spirit of love. And, and think of 1 Corinthians 13 with me. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity faunteth not itself, is not puffed up. This is really the definition of forbearance. Forbearance is to someone is, is to look beyond their faults. Amen? And I, and I love that old song, uh, He looked beyond our faults and saw our need. But Colossians 3.13 is, is part of that. He says, forbearing one another, forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And so he says here, if we're going to forbear, we must forgive. We must be able to come together tonight and say, listen, let's, let's remove those quarrels. Let's remove those things that hinder the ability for the work of God to, to work in our church. It's not an easy task. But to offer forgiveness is to put on Christ. To be forbearing toward one another is truly a quality of Christ. In 1970, Dottie Rambo had a brother named Eddie Luttrell. He, had, he was dying of cancer. He just had weeks to live. And Dottie would come by the house and, and she would sit by his bedside and she would sing songs to him. She would open her Bible and she would read to him. She would try to persuade him to give his heart to Jesus Christ. And one day after singing at a concert, she visited Eddie and asked him, did he give his heart to the Lord? And Eddie said that uh, the way that he lived in the past, there's no way God could ever for, take him in. He reminded her, he said, I was, I was a drug addict. He said, I rem uh, he reminded her of the time that he'd done in jail. Dottie reminded him, though, that the Lord left the 99 and went after the one lost sheep. It was after that visit that she finished composing the song, He Looked Beyond My Fault. And saw my need. She had pre previously started writing uh, a song about the grace of God, but was just unable to finish it. And now she finally finished this song. And one day, after singing at a concert in Ohio, she felt persuaded that that Eddie had given his heart to the Lord. And so she visited him, and she said, and he said that he gave his heart to the Lord, and he was very weak, and 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 at his bedside it was very shortly thereafter that he died. And it was at her, his funeral that she sang this song. 
It's been sung many times since then, but it says, Amazing grace shall always be my song of praise. For it was grace that brought me liberty. I do not know just why he came to love me so. He looked beyond my faults and saw my need. I shall forever lift mine eyes to Calvary to view the cross where Jesus died for me. How marvelous the grace that caught my falling soul. He looked beyond my fault and saw my need. Consider with me for a moment all that Christ has done. I say that we could all be that Eddie lying in that bed, unable to do anything good or right. But in that moment where we realize that we can't, but he already has, that's when we realize that he looked beyond my fault and saw my need. Truly, we're the most undeserving, but Christ is the most gracious. Remember together with me the blood that was spilt. Remember the sacrifice that was made. Mark chapter 14 and verse 24 says, And he said unto them, This is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many. Listen, walking worthy requires a sacrifice. Christ was willing to sacrifice for me, for you. What are we willing to sacrifice? But we see not only that God calls us to a service to walk worthy or, or to sacrifice, but also uh, by singularity. And really, I needed an S word, so a better word would have been u- Unity. And we think about unity or singularity, it is the state of being single, and, in, and that is a singleness of mind, a singleness of purpose, a singleness of passion. And, and I can imagine that Christ had envisioned a church that was unified, not a church of division. Unity comes from, a, uh, from within and is a spiritual grace. Listen, that's what God calls us here today. He says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And so if we're going to preserve the unity of the Spirit, we must possess the necessary Christian graces that he talks about here. So let's talk about how do we, how do we attain this unity, this singularity, and first and foremost, I believe, because of our purpose. The word endeavoring means to use speed, to make an effort, to be prompt or to be earnest. In other words, to, to really, he says, as he says, endeavoring, he says it's not just going to happen on its own, but instead we must consider, can constantly give ourselves toward it. And we consider that we truly have a need for unity. And that means a, a willingness to be like Christ and to put on his example. And so he, he talks about this. He says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, there is one body... And he says, and one spirit, even as you're called in one hope of your calling. And so we see here that we are a body, specifically the body of Christ tonight. And Christ is our head. And we see this in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 23. He says, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. And so we know that Christ is our head, but as a, as a body tonight together, we, we desire to have that unity. Could you imagine a body that just decided that it wasn't going to work together anymore? Perhaps that's really what cancer is, isn't it? And we consider those things when the body just says, you know what, I'm not going to do what I'm supposed to do. I'm going to do it to my, my own thing. And these cells begin to make uh, their, own, uh, their own idea of what they think they need to make. And they reproduce uh, rogue cells, if you will. But Paul doesn't talk about that. You know, he, he talk, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he talks about the body working together and, and encouraging one another and being able to stay focused on the purpose that he's given us. In 1 Corinthians 12, 12, he says, For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the bodies of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. Too many churches today 
combat one another. Too many churches today forget that the real enemy is not within the walls, but he's Satan. He's our enemy tonight. He's the one that we must constantly fight. He is the one that we must be reminded of that he is the enemy, not one another. We see here that God calls us, there's one body, there's one spirit. This is the spirit of God who lives in each Christian. Aren't you grateful for that? I'm grateful for the work of this Holy Spirit. And there, there's a one spirit, there's a sweet, sweet spirit in this place. Aren't a good song? But we think about all these different things that there is a spirit here that we want to encourage. And so we know that the Holy Spirit works in us. He has a great ministry. And so let me remind you of Ephesians 1, as Paul talks about this earlier in, in, the, in the scriptures. He says, In whom you also trusted, after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom that also that you believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of His glory. And so we see that there is that one Spirit. And the one Spirit that indwells you uh, as a believer indwells me as a believer. And, and I'm grateful that He leads us today. And we also see that there's one Lord. Remember who God is. It's not you and it's not me. Amen. It's, it's, it's the Lord. And so Philippians 2.11, He reminds us of this truth. It says that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. There's one faith tonight. Faith is essential to pleasing God. And everything that we do, God calls us in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, for we walk by faith and not by sight. God calls us to live a, a, a life of faith tonight. And then he says one baptism. When a person puts their faith in Jesus Christ, at the moment of salvation, we see that we receive the Spirit of God. We're never commanded to be baptized in the Spirit because that is something that happens at the moment of our conversion. Okay, And so there are many that out there today that, that teach that you must pray for the baptism of the Spirit, but that is not taught in the Scripture. But we understand that that is the work of the Spirit at the moment of salvation. And so as far as local body of believers are concerned today, there's two baptisms. The baptism of the Spirit that happens at the moment of salvation and water baptism. There's one God and our Father. Aren't you grateful that He is the Father? Matter of fact, Romans talks about this and he says we can call Him Abba, Father. Uh, we're children together with Him to, tonight. And, and I'm grateful that, that as such, that makes us a family. Right. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. Isn't that, I'm just thankful that God allows us to be part of that family together. We are serving and loving uh, the same Father. And so let's walk together in unity. You know, as we walk worthy together, God calls us to have that spirit of singularity, a spirit of unity together. When we study the doctrines of God, we are able to grow in them and become more like Him. Amos 3.3 says, Can two walk together except they be agreed? And so it's expedient for us as a church to continue to be committed to our purpose of seeing souls one, but also continue to be committed to the doctrines of the Word of God. During World War II, Hitler commanded all religious groups to unite so that he could control them. Among the brethren assemblies, half compiled and half refused. So some of them were willing and some were not. Those who went along with the order had an easier time uh, of it. Those who did not faced harsh persecution. Many of, and of those who resisted had someone who died in a concentration camp. Not because they were Jewish, just because they wouldn't go along with the regime. And so when the war was over, feelings of bitterness ran deep in, in these groups. And there was a lot of tension. And so finally they decided the situation that really needed to be addressed and needed to be healed. And so leaders from the group would, uh, met at a quiet retreat. 
And for several days, they, they prayed, they spent time in prayer, they examined their own heart in light of Christ's commands, and they came together. Francis Schaeffer, who I had told of the incident, he asked a friend who was there, he says, what did you do then? He said, we were just one. He says that they confessed their hostility, their bitterness toward God, and, and, and yielded really to His control. The Holy Spirit created a spirit of unity among them. Love filled their hearts and dissolved that hatred. When love prevails among believers, especially in times of strong disagreement, it presents to the world an indisputable mark of a true follower of Jesus Christ. John 13 reminds us of that, doesn't he? In John 13, he says, You shall know you are his disciples by our love. And so let me just share a quick word of caution. Because truly, Satan is the, uh, is the one that desires to divide and to destroy. And so Proverbs 6, 16, it says, These six things that the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination. He says uh, in verse number 19, A false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among the brethren. May I just say how sad it is that Christians who hold to the same doctrine and proclaim the same gospel uh, also will take to social media to write against one another. Let me just encourage you. God commands us to contend for the faith, true, and expose heresy. But the devil, I think, delights when we begin to battle one another. Listen, division stirred in, in the people's hearts and, and uh, will hurt people and it destroys churches. Division comes sometimes within the local church, sometimes without the local church. But let me just encourage you. God's called us here to Colossians chapter 3 and verses 12 through 14. And this is what he tells us. He says, Put on therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering. We read this one earlier, but it's bare, worth repeating. Forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity which is the bond of perfectness. As we draw near tonight to the Lord's table, my heart and the desire is that we can draw near with a singleness in heart tonight. Paul warned the church in Corinth about divisions in 1 Corinthians 11 and verse number 18. It says, For first of all, when you come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you, he says, and I partly believe it. And he goes on to, to, to encourage them to, to put those things aside when they come to the Lord's table. Solomon, the Apostle Paul, the Apostle John, even Jesus Christ spoke against division in the church. And may we tonight be willing to say, listen, I want to be unified. I want our church to have that singleness of mind and heart. And so I want to put on tonight a heart of service. I want to put on a heart of sacrifice. I want to have a heart that's single with the Lord and with those around me tonight.